Hi, it's Nick. And first of all, you're not going to hear my voice too much in today's episode. I know, I know. So I just wanted to say hi. And secondly, I wanted to take a moment to thank the people who have already offered their support to our Patreon campaign. So thank you so much. It means the world to Brett and I that you guys support what we do and want to help us keep doing it. For everybody else, if you didn't hear last week's Ask episode, which you should, we're asking listeners to visit www.supportwts.com to pledge just a small monthly amount to help keep the show going. It can be $1 or $5, whatever. $20 or more gets you into the WTS Explorers Club, which has its own unique perks. So just take a moment and visit supportwts.com. Listen to last week's Ask episode if you haven't, and uh, we truly appreciate your support. Thanks. You know, when uh, Video Arts asked me if I'd like to talk about creativity, I said, no problem. No problem. Because telling people how to be creative is easy. It's only being it that's difficult. That is the opening of a 1991 talk on creativity given by actor and comedian John Cleese. And while the entire talk is worth checking out for both its insights and various light bulb jokes. For our purposes today, I just want to share with you one thing that John said. However, there is one negative thing that I can say. And it's negative because it's easier to say what creativity isn't. Uh, A bit like the sculptor who, when asked how he had sculpted a very fine elephant, explained that he'd taken a big block of marble and then knocked away all the bits that didn't look like an elephant. Now, here's the negative thing. Creativity is not a talent. It is not a talent. It is a way of operating. I think that for many, creativity is thought of as a gift that some people are just born with and others, well, just aren't. And if you're lucky enough to have it, then good for you. But for the rest of us, we're f***. Hey, you got it! You got the last golden ticket! And while you may look around and be in awe of other people's creativity, I've got some news for you. And just listen closely. You are creative. We all are. Wish I could be creative. Oh, sweetie, you are. You you have a great talent for creating difficult situations. I do. In a 2015 article in Nautilus magazine entitled, To Be More Creative, Cheer Up, Mark Runko, a cognitive psychologist who studies creativity, says, everybody has creative potential, and most of us have quite a bit of room for growth. That doesn't mean everyone can be Picasso or Einstein, but it does mean we can all learn to be more creative. Not everyone can become a great artist. But a great artist can come from anywhere. Now, if you're one of those people saying, but not me, Brett, I mean, really, I'm not creative. Well, we'll get back to that. So don't go anywhere. But everybody should know that whether you realize it or not, creativity is a very valuable skill in the workplace and in life. Of course, it's in art and business, but it's also in parenting, socializing, marketing, and volunteering. And with the current pace and ever-changing environment we now live in, creativity is no longer something you should shrug your shoulders at. It's time to release that inner creative inside of you. Release the Kraken! 
And so this episode isn't just for people who call themselves creative. It's for everyone. If you can find that creative muscle and start working it out, you'll find confidence that you didn't even know you had. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we explore creativity. What is it? Are you creative? Can you be more creative? And how does creativity impact other areas of our lives? Author, artist, entrepreneur, and activist David Usher joins us on the journey, plus some special shout-outs to our first Patreon supporters and, of course, WTS Digs. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at creativity as, as in all kinds of different things. It's firstly, it exists in all sorts of different genres, right? It, it exists. It's not just about art. It's about you know, it's about architecture. It's about math. It's about business. But it's also in conversation. It's in negotiation. It exists in all these different places of how we how we interact with the world, right? That is David Usher, who earlier this year released the book "Let the Elephants Run: Unlock Your Creativity and Change Everything." Author and marketer Seth Godin said, David's writing will change you, possibly forever. And Canada's new Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, said the book is particularly relevant in today's world where new ideas and innovations are becoming a key part of everyday lives. Now, Canadians out there who were born within 10 years of me on either side probably hear the name David Usher and think of this. But thinking that David Usher is just the lead singer of the band Moist would be to truly miss our point about the power of creativity. David really exemplifies what's possible when one strengthens their creativity and understands that the process of being creative is one that can stretch and apply to other areas outside of your original medium. David makes music. He writes books. He's an entrepreneur. He works with technology. He is the founding director of Amnesty International's Artists for Amnesty, and he is currently working on several different climate change projects. As someone who is clearly so creative and wrote a book on creativity, I figured David's definition of the term might be a good place for us to start in defining the word itself. In Let the Elephants Run, he says that creativity is the ability to bring multiple disparate ideas together and make something completely new. American journalist, political commentator, and creative dude, Bill Moyers, is credited with saying, creativity is piercing the mundane to find the marvelous. Now that's a creative way to define creativity. And the website Creativity at Work adds some important flavor and criteria to the definition by saying, creativity involves two processes, thinking, then producing. If you have ideas but don't act on them, you are imaginative, but not creative. And that last distinction is important. Being creative is an ability, but only if you actually use it. You've got to have an idea and then put it into motion to make something new. 
With this definition, you can see how every moment and interaction becomes an opportunity to apply the principles of creative thinking. It's not just about, quote, art. We find the need to be creative everywhere we go, home, work, gym, the store, and with everyone we interact with, spouse, partner, child, colleague, parent, you name it. I mean, we've all seen how creative people can be when trying to just get out of taking a phone call. He's putting on lipstick. <laughs> He's swatting out flies. <laughs> He's chopping his head off. <laughs> He's pooping. And that's just one example. What about planning a great meal for 10 people when several people have specific dietary needs? Realizing you double booked two important calls, making that couch you love still work in your new place, completing eight hours of work in the next five hours, crushing it at that business dinner and still making it across town to catch the tail end of your buddy's birthday party, delivering what the client wants within the restrictions imposed on you, finding out that the party you are about to leave for has a theme and throwing together a costume out of nothing but what you have in your closets and cupboards in five minutes, realizing that there are a couple of zeros difference between your cash flow and the money needed to get the product to market and finding a way. Saying yes when your son or daughter tell you they want a Santa Claus Dinosaur Dora the Explorer themed birthday party and perhaps most importantly deciding whether to steal the white elephant gift or take your chances and open a new one. That's all creativity. And we have within us the ability to become great conscious creators, if we are willing to work that muscle. Here again is David Usher. But at the same time, I would say that every person is creative. Now that seems, that seems slightly trite, but I think that creativity is built much more in the grind than it is in the inspiration. I, I re recently read a great review of my book. It was one star. He makes, the, he makes creativity sound like work. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, yep, I do, don't I? David's book is as much a workbook as anything else. You are encouraged to write, draw, scribble, and doodle on its pages. And I'll admit that when I got to the part of David's book where he writes, determination and grit mean much, if not more, than natural talent, I wrote down in big letters, really? <laughs> Now look, you've heard us here at WTS evangelize the importance of putting in the work. But honestly, I found myself questioning that idea when it came to the topic of creativity. Does creativity really come down to work and grit? And then as I got more into David's book and started to connect the dots, it all clicked. You could be the most naturally talented person in the world at anything, but if you don't execute, it's not going to matter. And possibly this belief that I and many of us have bought into, that some people are naturally creative while others are not, well that has become permission for many of us to adopt this label of not creative and then just exist there. I think that's exactly it. I think that, that um most people think that creativity is something you're born with and it comes easy to creative people or what are deemed creative people um, where I think that's the farthest thing from the truth. Now David does say that passion helps because a passion for something will allow you to feel 
like the work you put into something isn't really work. I mean, they call performing music playing music for a reason. But don't let that confuse you. The play is still hard work. I think determination means so much in this. I think that the power of habit, the power of grind mean everything in, in, in the creative field. And you're going to find, there, I mean, there are, there are people that are just, you know, they wake up and they just have things and they're naturally talented and it happens over and over. You could call them savants. But for the rest of us, uh, and I include myself in that, it's, you know, the daily, the daily habit of going to work every day and trying to, you know, to push your way through every roadblock and to find that thing that you're looking for and, to, and then to deliver that thing. Um, for the rest of us, that's work. And again, that work is so important. One of my favorite moments in David's book is when he writes, if you think you are not very creative, ask yourself how much time you have actually devoted to the pursuit of creativity. David is really onto something here when he asks us if we've pursued creativity. It's a muscle that must be trained I mean, no one would expect to have big biceps if they weren't lifting weights three times a week. Creativity is an investment. It doesn't just arrive. You have to train it slowly over time, as American painter and photographer Chuck Close said. Inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get the work. But how do we do that? How do we strengthen this creative muscle? Maybe you've never realized you had it, or perhaps you felt creative when you were younger and you let that muscle atrophy. Well, the answer is also the trick of it. As many have spoken about over the years, and David so succinctly summarizes, quote, for creativity to work, we need to harness the power of two seemingly opposite forces simultaneously. Freedom and structure. Each force is as critical as the other. Freedom allows us to go to bold new places, dream, be curious, explore, have unbridled thoughts and feelings. And structure keeps us tethered to reality, bringing definition and needed discipline and making sure that imagination turns to creation. And you need both to thrive. As David says, freedom without structure is just chaos, and great ideas float away on the wind. Now for many, the further we get from our childhood, the more these forces fall out of alignment. We stop imagining and fall victim to structure and order. I think we definitely lose touch with a part of ourselves. And, and, you know, it's, it's not, only, not only from kid to adult. It's when you're in, even if you're in a creative field, it's easy to lose touch with that creative part of yourself that's, that's very open. Because as we become experts in a field, that natural process of becoming experienced um, and a specialist closes you off to other things. So even, even at a later stage for me as well, many times I have to, you know, I, you have to re redefine yourself and open yourself up again to the world um, so you can start to see ideas outside of your specific vertical. I'm, tr I'm constantly trying to redefine my lens so I can see different parts of the world. 
I asked David what his best advice would be on how to start this process of rebalancing the scales, creating pockets of freedom to let our imagination do some work. What he shared with me may sound familiar to longtime Where There's Smoke listeners as we spoke of the same idea all the way back in our fourth episode on happiness. If you want to, I guess, get back to your creativity, the first thing to do is start to look at the world as patterns. Uh, the world around you, but also in your own life. If you really look at how we live our lives every day, we really, we really don't do that many things very differently. You know, we go to the same place for coffee. We probably have our coffee the same way. We have the same thing for breakfast relatively. We take the same way to work. Do small things to break up those patterns in small ways. And I think small things lead to bigger things. But breaking patterns is a habit of, in creativity that's so important because it really changes your view of the world. And this balance of freedom and structure also play an important role in how we work. As David puts it, you must make sure you let your subconscious breathe. I think most people that, that get into the creative business get really obsessed. And um, there, is this, there is this process of working really hard, trying to keep momentum going, because so much of creativity is, is carrying momentum. Um, that's the big killer of create, creative ideas is, is loss of forward motion. Um, so we're constantly trying to make ideas move forward and in any way we can. But there is also within that concept, with, within that process, the idea that we need to take time away to let ideas percolate. And I mean, I, a, lot of, a lot of times I, I, will, I will have connecting ideas, I'd call them, where ideas suddenly make sense, where two disparate ideas come together and suddenly form a coherent um, spark. And those happen at the auto, you know, at, when you're taking a shower, when you first wake up in the morning, uh, when your mind isn't, isn't focused on what you're working on, when you're going for a walk, when you're at a movie, whatever. I think it's very important that the, that the, that the subconscious gets its, gets its time as well to make all those connections, connections that we can't necessarily make in, in a conscious state of trying. You know, that idea that we need time to be creative, it's a lesson we seem to have to learn over and over again. Many of you who heard the mini-documentary that was our process episode heard us talk about this already. And yet, hearing David speak here, I'm reminded again of why, no matter how hard I try, an episode of Where There's Smoke can never be written in less than three days minimum. The ideas need at least three days to percolate and connect. We need hours away from the scripts and concepts to see what floats into our subconscious, to have two or ten aha moments, to let the freedom of creativity play within the structure of our six-day production schedule. While creativity is work, you can't force it. Something struck me as we put this episode together. And I think it's just really cool. Actually, hugely powerful is probably a better phrase. And it's a bit of a secret, really. You see, as I talk to people all over the world about their personal and professional development, there is a word, a concept that almost everyone desires to have more of. That word and feeling is confidence. It turns out that creativity may very well be the secret to having confidence. 
You see, confidence is a state of mind. It's a trust, a belief. In this case, it's about having tools to go into a situation. I don't know what's going to happen, but I have this toolkit and I know how to use it. And that allows you to feel confident in all sorts of situations. No matter how in or out of your depths you are, no matter how much time you had to prepare. A recent episode of the podcast Improv for Humans featured a lecture from Ian Roberts, co-founder of the Upright Citizens Brigade. The lecture very much spoke to the belief that creativity needs both freedom and structure. Specifically, Ian was speaking to the importance of structure and method in improv comedy. Here he talks about the confidence that comes from having a creative method you can depend on. The reason you feel tense before performing, I put to you, is because you're nervous about what the outcome's gonna be. You know, am I gonna, we talk about in comedy, we call not succeeding dying, okay? Yeah, yeah, it can be, you can get to be where you can barely function before you go on stage. I think that if you have a method to do it that you know you can depend on, you're not gonna have that white knuckle fear. Creativity is your Swiss army knife. It's your MacGyver. It's a voice in the back of your head that says, in addition to everything I know that I know, I have the ability to make connections and figure things out and find solutions where initially it might seem like there are none. Now, would that be something you might be interested in? Definitely. Boom, I'm a matchmaker, I love it. John Cleese said, creativity is not a talent. It is a way of operating. I want to end today's episode with the end of my conversation with David Usher, where I think much of the ideas we talked about are summed up. But I really do believe that creative thinking is a methodology. It, it's, it's, um, at least for me, it's, it really is a series of steps that I go through to make, to, to make something. And when you can separate your creative thinking methodology from the genre that you're working in or the genre that you love, then you can suddenly work on all kinds of different things. And I find this with a lot of my friends that are, you know, uh, musicians or, or artists or dancers. They love so much their genre. They're so tied to their genre that they can't find, you know, especially for dancers, modern dancers, they, they get this place where they have to move on to something else because the body just won't do it anymore. You know, no one's going to hire them and the body won't do it anymore. Mm. But, but they have such trouble finding other interests because their creative methodology, their creative thinking is tied to that genre and they can't separate them. If they could just find a way to separate them, suddenly all that stuff that they've learned is applicable to all kinds of different things. Right. And then those other things become interesting to them. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting because that, that, that also, you know, potentially busts up a belief system, right? So earlier we talked about this idea that people are like, well, I'm not just creative. And we're going to say, well, that's not true. Another thing I think people might do, like let's say a, a, a dancer decides to open up a studio and they think, well, I'm not a business person. Exactly. But the reality is, right, if they're creative and dancing, then they can be creative, right? It, it translates. It, abs it absolutely translates, but only if you believe it translates mm. and you can separate yourself. It absolutely translates. And that, for me, that's, I mean, maybe that's part of the confidence, right? I believe that I can do all these different genres because I believe I have a methodology that works in all of them. And I believe that the things I've learned in one genre are applicable and, and give to other genres something that they can't get there. 
so we can all be creative. It's there within each and every one of us. You just have to commit to doing the work, to finding that balance of freedom and structure that works best for you. There is no single methodology that works for everyone, but for everyone, there is a methodology that works. Find yours and work it. Hey everyone, this is Brett and Nick is here as well. What up? <laughs> so it is time for everyone's favorite segment, WTS Digs. Now, uh, Nick, as many people know, we have no idea every week what our digs are, right? And mm -hmm. we've had these conversations about how one week, maybe, we might end up with the same dick. Yeah, and I think that considering that we both love Christmas, true. Uh, I was actually a little concerned that there would be a slight chance that we might both end up with the same one this week. I think I th if it was ever going to happen, it might be this week. So we'll find <laughs> out, but we're starting with you, Nick. So what are you digging? Well, I'm digging some Christmas stuff. And <laughs> just real quick for starters, it's all thematically tied. But, uh, you know, the best version of Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol isn't Bill Murray's Scrooged, which a lot of people like to say. It's actually the Muppet Christmas Carol from, I don't even know, the 90s at some point. Kermit plays Bob Cratchit, the great Gonzo plays Charles Dickens, and Michael Caine plays a very compelling Ebenezer Scrooge. Have you seen this movie, Brett? I have, though I haven't seen it in ages, really, honestly. It is. It's great. It really is great. So it's got great music, great cinematography. It's just so much fun. So if you're looking for a great version of A Christmas Carol, Muppet Christmas Carol is the way to go. And uh, also along the Muppets line, real quick, if you're sick of the same old Christmas music we hear, which I love Christmas music. I love it. I do. I would say that maybe you should check out John Denver, the Muppets Christmas CD or album called A Christmas Together. And I know it's going to sound weird, but I sincerely believe that this album is perhaps the best sort of overall Christmas album that exists in terms of like, it's got heart, it's got the classics, it's got some some newer stuff, and it's really dark. And I know that sounds weird because it's the Muppets, but truly, uh, John Denver and the Muppets made a dark Christmas album where uh, Kermit sings about whether or not you believe in Christmas, it's your belief in love that brings pe people together. And there's a song called When the River Meets the Sea where John Denver and Scooter sing about the cycle of life, the uncertainty that greets us, and our ability to cope. And they actually sang that song at Jim Henson's funeral. And of the countless recordings of my favorite uh, Christmas carol, Silent Night, perhaps this one with the Muppets, which is a bunch of Muppets singing in German, Silent Night, <laughs> uh, maybe my favorite because they actually take the time to explain where it all came from and how it was composed. So, a Muppet Christmas Carol for your movie, and John Denver and the Muppets, A Christmas Together. Seriously, if you're looking for some new music, go on iTunes, go on Spotify, and give it a listen. So was that it, Brett? Did we do it? That, well, first of all, I'll say that um, I owned that, that album on vinyl when I was a kid, and I love that album. It, it, it is interesting. I mean, I think John Denver is an underrated artist, and I think one of the things about him is he really hits on a deep emotional level. And so I think, like, even some of his other songs, like, depending on your moods, it feels really dark because it's so, like, it's deep. Yeah, it's got, like, sort of, um, like, a, a Robert Frost wintry, dark yeah. landscape to a lot of the songs. It's really cool. So we don't have the same dig, but I will say this. You actually said the name of the person who is linked to my dig. So that's a hint for everyone if you want to figure it out in the next uh, 20 seconds. Because before I get to my official dig, I just want to say it is Christmas time. <laughs> 
I love Christmas. My favorite Christmas special by far, nothing even comes close, is A Charlie Brown Christmas. Of course. Now, most people out there hopefully have watched it. If you've never seen this, you should just stop the show right now and go watch. Wait, we'll just wait. Okay, welcome back. Was it great? It was great, wasn't it? It was right? great. When they sing and their mouths are open and they're singing O'Tannenbaum, come on. Um, and Linus. And so, uh, you know, again, I watch it several times every year. The soundtrack also is incredible. Um, so so that I want to mention that, but I also mention that because my dig is something that I think has a good chance, Nick, of becoming my second favorite Christmas special maybe ever. It's a little soon to say because it just was released this year. But my dig mm. is A Very Murray Christmas. Now, have you seen this yet? <laughs> no, I haven't. I've seen it on Netflix. It's on my list. I'll probably watch it this weekend, actually. Okay. You, I mean, no doubt. Like, you and I know each other well <laughs> enough. You are going to love this. And anyone out there, this is Bill Murray's Christmas special on Netflix, directed by Sofia Coppola. You know, if you loved Lost in Translation, you'll definitely love this. If you love Bill Murray, you should definitely love this. It is just... It, God, I love it. I mean, I think I've online I've noticed that some people are either either love it or they're kind of meh. You know, I watched it Friday night. I'd had a long week. I was sick. I was kind of in this moody, drowsy state, which I think is probably the perfect way to watch this special. And it just hit on every level. The guest stars are amazing. Some people you'd expect, some people you wouldn't. Uh, you know, Chris Rock, some bigger names, George Clooney, Miley Cyrus, but then people like Maya Rudolph. Uh, Jenny Lewis sings two songs. She's amazing. Uh, David Johansson, who most people unfortunately probably know as Buster Poindexter instead of part of the New York Dolls. So it's just an incredible cast and, and just a great story. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. A Very Merry Christmas on Netflix. Well, I, I will definitely check it out, and I will definitely make judgments on you based on how much I like it. <laughs> and uh, if you've got things out there that you're loving for Christmas, your favorite Christmas movies or songs or, or anything wintry or just sweet, please let us know. We're on Twitter at ExploreWTS. We've gotten some really, really great recommendations recently. So, uh, yeah, thanks. Before I get to today's credits, I want to thank our guest today, David Usher. It was a true pleasure speaking with him, and I highly encourage all of you to grab his book, Let the Elephants Run. And then don't just read it, experience it, doodle in it, take it for a walk, give it a test run or 10. It'll also make a great holiday gift for anyone who wants to or needs to be more creative. And four out of five dentists agree, Let the Elephants Run is the perfect white elephant party gift. All right, Nick. Cue the credits music. Shoutouts! First off, huge thanks to everyone who supported the show through Patreon this week. Ron Yamato was our first official supporter. Thank you, Ron. And the WTS Explorer Club currently has three members. Sam Tobis, Andrew Bantz, and Diane McKeever. If you want to help us keep this going, please go to supportwts.com and give what feels right for you iTunes reviews. Hey, if you dig where there's smoke and you have not reviewed it on iTunes, please, please, please consider heading over and doing that. Each written review helps to boost our visibility on iTunes and helps new people hear the show. Here are a few from this week. Ryan X. Castle in the USA said, these guys are killing it. I'm engaged and inspired throughout the entire show, and when I can, I'm taking constant notes. Parenting Abroad wrote, chewy self-development, crackling entertainment dipped in bittersweet wit and wrapped in velvety production. 
And Tasuk39 wrote a thorough review calling WTS essential listening for all humans and going on to say, look, I'm generally a cynical person, but a show like this restores my faith in humanity. But Nick, please, no more Celine Dion. I just can't have that stuck in my head for days again. Oh, Tasuk, Tasuk, Tasuk39, you leave me with no other choice. Twitter love, lots of OLs this week. At the Brian Sawyer, the Vegan Roadie, Tori Clausen, Heather Parody, Erica Robin, and some new friends. Christine Morales said, hands down, the best thing on my phone. Wow. And Masha Lubashina, thanks to all of you for spreading the word. Where There's Smoke is on Twitter, at ExploreWTS. You can also find Nick and I there, at Podcast Monster and at Brett Gaida. And join our Facebook page for Where There's Smoke. Hey, Nick, what other musical artists were featured in this show? This week, we've got contributions from Jazar, Chris Zabriskie, Blue Dot Sessions, Springtide, Poddington Bear, Kevin McLeod, and we're still making amends with the MacGyver theme and its composer, Randy Edelman. We were able to sneak that one in today's show as well. Where there's smoke is prepared, drafted, wrist, unlocked, sweated over, set free, pursued, left alone, structured, written, recorded, edited, produced, and delivered by Brett Gaida and Nick Jaworski. So basically, we create it. If you're interested in having Brett speak, train, or coach at an event or within your organization, send an email to brett at wherethersmoke.co. And Nick's company, Podcast Monster, they'll help you make your podcast sound awesome. Go to podcastmonster.com. To get on our newsletter and stay in the loop on all things Where There's Smoke, join our mailing list on your phone. Text the word SMOKE to 66866 or go to our website, wherethersmoke.co. While you're on our website, you can leave us a voicemail, feedback, ideas for future shows, rants about sweaters on dogs in the winter, whatever. And to close out this episode, we go back to the man who opened it, John Cleese. A throwback to a time when life was simpler and jokes rotated around light bulbs. How many folk singers does it take to change a light bulb? Answer five. One to change the bulb and four to sing about how much better the old one was. So how many American network TV executives does it take to screw in a light bulb? Answer Does it have to be a light bulb? How many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? The answer, only one, but the light bulb has really got to want to change. So, how many actors does it take to screw in a light bulb? Answer, thousands, only one to do it, but thousands to say, I could have done that. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Brett. Nick's here too, I think. Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) So we really liked the whole winking thing on Twitter last week. It was kind of cool. That worked out really well. I know. It's like a secret society. It's like our our SSES, our our secret society of the end of the show. (laughs) That is the nerdiest thing. (laughs) You liked So, okay, so I think we should do it again, Nick, but we we need another emoji. Yeah, you got an idea. Yeah, so if you're listening to this right now and you're like, I love this show and you're listening to all of this bonus whispering, then you should go on Twitter and tweet at us um, like that little fist bump emoticon because actually that's what Brett and I do at the end of each show when we're done. We text each other a little fist bump because we used to do that in person and now we live thousands of miles apart. Totally. But make sure when you do it, you you do the appropriate skin color. Yes, that's important to us. Because Nick and I are are different colors. (laughs) That really sounds inappropriate. (laughs)
see you on Twitter.